of the Grizz Den podcast. It is fantastic to be back where it all started. Brantley, welcome. Let's go. Hello, Tyus. Hey. (laughs) All right, we got a good show for you today. We are going to be giving you the latest Grizzlies news. We're going to be talking about the most interesting thing about the season so far to each one of us. We're going to be giving you a review of the Western Conference, and then we are going to spend some very special time talking about the rookies so far and what we think. Grizzlies, they are 8-4. and four. That is good for fifth in the Western Conference. As of the time of recording, which is Thursday night, they are playing the Minnesota Timberwolves tomorrow night at 8.30 p.m. in FedEx Forum. It will be an ESPN televised game. I expect it to be rowdy. I'm excited because um, I'll be in the house. It'll be a really fun time. Hoping Beale Street is packed before and after. Um, Right now, the Grizzlies are seventh in offense. They are 24th in defense, according to NBA.com, which is good for the 15th in net rating. Um, So, let's get started, guys. Today, the Grizzlies released... It had been leaked a little bit beforehand, but they released the City Edition jerseys that they will actually be wearing tomorrow night and for a number of games throughout the season. And I want to start with this, actually. So these are the City Edition jerseys. We have earlier found or had the Statement Edition jerseys released. The actual white and navy jerseys have a name. Did you know this? What? That, the, that each jersey now has a name. It's not just your home and away and oh, then no. statement and city. There is a name attached to both the white and the blue. I did know this, but I don't know the name of them. Do you know the name? Do you have I a guess? I have no idea. Any guesses? I want to... I don't... It's something dumb. So, the I, white jersey is named the Association Jersey. Yeah, By the way, these names started dumb. back in 2017 when the NBA and Nike got together. Instead of having just the traditional home and away, they said, we're going to have four jerseys and we're going to name them all different things. Association is basically like is your every classic. team's white jersey the Association? Yes. Got it. Because it was considered the home jersey. Okay, the away, what was traditionally the away jersey is now the Icon Jersey. And that's the primary color that isn't white in the jersey. So that's like, for the Grizzlies, it's the Navy. And then the statement is supposed to represent the spirit of your current roster. And so that's the inspiration behind the statement jersey. And then city, self-explanatory. It's always going to be So connected. our spirit jersey is the 3-6 Mafia jersey. Is that what you're saying? No, so uh, there was the statement and the city jerseys. 3-6 Mafia is actually separate from that. It's a Mitchell and Ness so that's we will never wear like the Grizzlies no. will never. I know wear that, that we to were play. never going to yeah. wear. That. We're never that's why I was only a few teams. So that is Grizzlies. That's have just five. different. That's just merch. Yes, exactly. Which recently Mitchell and S has gotten a very big investment from a lot of players, and you will probably be seeing more. Um, it's considered kind of the the so cool. What brand are our right powder now. blue jerseys? What's the statement? Name of oh, okay. Yep. 
There you go. So white is association, navy is icon, statement is the Bill Street Blue, and city is now the jerseys that we're about to discuss. Okay, so (laughs) the city edition jerseys were released today. They were inspired by um, Memphis hip-hop, as well as, um, I guess you could say, ice. So diamonds were, were another inspiration. When the jerseys were released, your first reactions were? Meh. Yeah, I think so too. It's different though because when I saw the leaked photo, I think I was like, "Oh, I don't really like this." But then I guess today or yesterday when they released like Ja wearing it, I was like, "Oh, that's a lot better than I thought it was going to be." I think I I just sort of even now having seen Ja wearing them, I'm almost sort of like, "Am I going to notice that we're wearing those when we're wearing them?" Like, they're so subtly different, and maybe that's why it's sort of interesting. But, like, I don't know. I just sort of feel like there's something cool to it being, like, very uniquely different and designed well. This The Isaac Hayes stacks black jerseys oh. are, like, the pinnacle. Oh. To me, this is stacks adjacent, so it's music. But, it like, is. the stacks is what it's... Oh, that or the just Memphis captured Sounds everything. year. The oh, Sounds yeah. was dope. Oh. I thought they were trash. To be honest trash. with you, the I Sounds. Think they are, no, 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 no. Oh, no. The, current the City ones. Edition okay, jerseys, sure, sure, sure. I think, are trash. The reason why I think that goodness, they are trash. so they are so incredibly busy. Like there's so much going on in every part of it. Sure. And honestly, one thing that could make it a lot better is they have this down the side. They one of the they had this big long explanation about every single part of it which is great. And I love most of what the Grizzlies do. Like this is out of love because I expect more. The <laughs> I'm disappointed. Part of, it, part of it was the asymmetry they called it of having this big long stripe down the right side and nothing down the left. My thought on that is oh, if you completely here, delete yeah. that left the right side of like all the stuff going on, it's a really cool like it's just like jet black all around and then you have the design stuff in the middle the other part and i thought that would be cooler the other part is the lettering to me looks like if you were to like go to your hb printer and just like print off a shirt and it doesn't look like it's stitched at all like it feels like you ironed on it'll look better in person i think i convinced the numbers because that was my biggest flaw of the initial photo but when I saw Jaw wearing it, Jaw sounded like Kraft there. Jaw. Jaw. <laughs> when I saw Jaw wearing it. Shout out it, to John Kraft. Yeah. yeah. We wish out. he was here. I was like, oh, that looks a lot like cleaner yeah. than I initially thought. I just think the the idea is better than the execution on this one. Great idea, for sure. And I just I just sort of am like, there I think we've had a lot of the city jerseys. I think you can whatever I put the Memphis Sounds one in this scenario oh, and yeah. I put the Tams one in this scenario like whatever the ones that we've had over the past like decade or so we've had some pretty good ones. And the MLK yeah. ones like yes. the Memphis were the, like the, the white Memphis MLK I thought those were really yeah. cool. Yeah. We've had some so, really good ones so like yeah. this one is where it's like I don't know. To me it's, it's just middle of the road like, and if I'm grading on the Grizzly scale it's garbage. Like because we should always be up at the top in these because there's so much to draw from here culturally, and I wish that we. To me, it sounded like when I read a bunch of the press about it that they they called on like a bunch of different artists. 
I just think there were too many cooks in the kitchen. Like they said they had to, they tweaked this design so many times. And I'm like, did you just like keep adding stuff that people asked you to add so that you could appease? I don't know. I, I felt like you need to like, you need to get, have a leaner operation when it comes to the design. Just have someone you trust and let them work. Like it almost would have just been like, this is a little bit more specific on the idea, but like the big Memphis play on like sort of like the three, six sort of thing yeah. that they're doing. It almost would have been cooler if they just like went straight with that. On right. And it has some hints of big Memphis, but this is just taking it to me to the extent that like you're making it a little bit more. I don't Like I said, it's just busier. And, and I think again, like, are we going to wear these jerseys a lot? No. Like, it's only going to be, you know, six or seven games throughout the season. But so, will you buy any merch of this no, thing? No, that's the problem. Yeah. It's like, I want to be excited about potentially having a jersey or something like that that represents this. Anyway. Um, I'm going to say this, too. I don't know if y'all looked at all the other teams that have been leaked. Like, as bad as you may think these are, they're definitely not the worst. That is exactly right. You're I'm not exactly saying right. ours are bad. I'm, I'm not. I, I literally just think ours primarily. are kind of mediocre. You're saying no. I think they're bad, okay. but they're not like they're not like some teams are laughable. Like it's almost like did you try to make this bad? Like ours is like I could see the effort man. and it kind of fell short of my expectation. I haven't seen it. who whose are like really bad for the for uh, for me and for the listeners. Charlotte's are very. Describe bad. the yeah. Hornets ones. <laughs> it literally just says C L T in big letters across the front. Yeah, which a lot of jokes have been made. They have. I'm not gonna bring those back up. <laughs> Oklahoma City's pants shorts look like they have like leather leather on them. Um, um, there's a lot of bad. Minnesota's oh. aren't great. Minnesota's are tough. It looks like the Microsoft thing, just yes. like in fine line. Intel. Um, yeah. I, okay, this is the only compliment I will ever pay the Lakers. I really like their city. Those are good. We are watching. We were watching earlier the Atlanta, um, yes. Philly. Phillies are weird, too. Yeah. It literally says, like, the city of oh, brotherly Minnesota's love and cursive. Horrible. Yeah, Minnesota's are bad. Um, Pe- the Peachtree Atlantas are really good. Yeah, they're good. So, I don't know. I just think this is a really unique opportunity for you to flex, like, your your creative team. And I wish that we would have uh, gone a different direction. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, on the heels of Mim This, I will say, <laughs> I'm a little worried. Man. Hey, we we turned, though. We pivoted. Big Memphis was Mim a win. This. Yes. Yeah. Big Memphis is great. And also, I think it. All, I need to. I need to be fair that the players seem to be excited about it. If the players are excited yeah. about it, that helps. Okay. One other... Sorry, I, go ahead. I just, like, Googled to find all these ratings of, like, these jerseys. This one CBS article has us as the best ones. Really? See? We're, I, we're maybe one, I have an impossible Suns standards. are number two. Wizards are three. Uh, Portland is f- four. Bucks, which are just straight up blue. Six. This is really interesting. I will say this. If you read, like, all of the story behind it, like, it's not like they just threw something together at the last minute, like they had been thinking about it. I just wish that if they had been thinking about it this long, that it would have been better. So, my, yeah, one thing I was going to say is it seems like we, like, grit and grind was a part of our slogan, mantra, if you will, for years. Grizz Next Gen was our little mantra slash slogan for, like, two or three I want Big Memphis to stick. I don't want us to just bounce back and forth at the beginning of every year with a new like slogan or saying. 
if big Memphis is it, which I think is awesome. Like I think yeah. that like fits like our mentality. Small this market, big Memphis. There you go. Team swag. The shirts. Just let's just roll with. Let's just be big Memphis, and let's just like be that and adopt it officially. Like yep. that is that's it now. That is the official slogan big, of the Grizzden podcast. The Grizzden pop for big Memphis. Big I, Memphis. I, I I sort of hope they stick with it for a while. Me too. I love it's, it. It's I think it's good, great. and it can be a rallying cry for a while. From a from a like an ad perspective, they can create sub campaigns to mm-hmm. it. Um, uh, the other thing, last thing we'll say, we spent ten minutes on the city edition jerseys, which is fun. That's we why know we're that here. You all care about yes. This. Uh, I am slightly relieved that we didn't go and run with we here because that has so much potential to backfire. Like Bain's press conference after the Nets game last year, if you didn't watch, when he was like, what are the words you used to describe this team? And he said, we here. And that's awesome. And, man, if another team used that as their slogan and we beat them, like that's an automatic just troll. So I'm glad that they refrained because that would yeah. have been easy. And we've moved in. We've talked about this a little bit. We moved into a different stage. We are no longer secretly we are the young up-and-coming team still because we're the third youngest roster in the NBA or something like that. But no one views us as that anymore. We're not like the fun, unknown, young team. We're like, oh, wow. We're like expectations are high and we can't be coming out here. Big Memphis. Yeah, big Memphis. Uh, the other it's piece of big. news. Oh, Golden State has a rose Oh, theirs might be the worst. Theirs might be the worst. It's so I'm glad bad. you mentioned that because that was the one to. I was trying to think of that I couldn't, and you, you named it. It's really bad. Okay, Danny Green, who is a member of the team, if you didn't know, he hasn't played in the game yet. Um, he might not for a while. He had an ACL tear, came over to Memphis in the DeAnthony Melton trade on draft night. He has a podcast. And if you listen to the most recent weekend update, we talked about our, John and I talked about our reactions to him being announced as an ESPN broadcaster. So listen to that for more thoughts. Um, but he has a podcast and you should go listen to it. He released his first episode in a really long time. And he, a big part of it was talking about his experience so far in Memphis. And basically the highlights were number one, he called us, you know, just like an incredibly professional organization. Like everything has been awesome. He loves the collaboration between Zach and Taylor. He, um, the other part that I personally loved the most was how he talked about the music, like all the young guys listen to how, uh, they're just like really into, uh, young boy NBA, which is this, uh, up and coming rapper. And basically he goes, this music is what he calls turn up music. And they play it all the time. He's like, when they're in the training room, when they're getting massages, when they're just trying to relax, they're listening to turn-up music. And I'm like, guys, like, <laughs> let's get some R&B in here or something like that. Let's slow it down. But no, they are turned up all the time. That just made me happy. Because like, that's the energy of a young team. And I love that. The, the most notable thing that made headlines that he said is he could see himself signing another contract with Memphis and being here for what he calls the long term. Now for him, that might be like two years, but I thought it was really interesting that Danny green already without playing a game less than a month into the season was ready to sign on the dotted line. If the organ, he said, if the organization wants to have me, I would stay. Hmm. Huh? What do y'all think on the professional? There's two things. Cause I, I, I have not listened to it. So I'm sort of hearing your summary. 
there's like the professional side of stuff, which this is a guy that comes from Spurs, Sixers, may, which maybe he was wanting to get out of a dysfunctional place. Yeah. Maybe. Point. Um, and so we, I think we've sort of likened us into, you know, just based on some of our hires coming from sort of the Spurs tree. Uh, maybe we're, we're being run that way. The, I'm, did he elaborate any on the Kleiman Taylor Nothing but just very generic praise, but like felt it's like obvious it was to him. It That's was interesting yes, that he didn't like you. It, the implication was that he had been around organizations that weren't that way hmm. and that this was one of the ones that was right and was doing a great job. I, I mean, I think we've always sort of hypothesized that it has to be happening that way. Hmm. I'm not sure if we've ever, other than Taylor saying that, which, of course, he's going to say that his boss and him get along. Mm-hmm. So for someone from the outside to say that within, what, like four months, yep. five months, is really fascinating to me. And it's interesting because he's, like, he's a journeyman, right? Like how many different teams has he played for? Five or six at least, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Like the only real player – and Steven Adams also said that like right when he got here. He was like, no, this place, like, knows what they're doing. Like, the culture here is, like, really special. But since Kleiman has taken over, like, the only guy I can really think of that's kind of been on multiple teams, I guess Steven, but, like, Kyle Anderson was on the Spurs for a little bit. Tyus was on the Wolves for, like, a little bit. But, like, everyone else has kind of just been in-house. Like, we've just kind of drafted everyone. Like, Justice Winslow wasn't here long enough. And, again, Heat culture has its own little thing. Um, so, it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> So it's really cool to see a guy that has been around Pat the block. Bad <laughs> Bad was a Grizz for two hours. Um, I think that's really cool that he's been a lot of different places. This isn't a guy coming from like two different organizations, one good, one bad, and then him be like, oh, that that identifies with the good one that I was on. He's been to a lot of places oh, and, and been successful one, at every stop. Won multiple titles. Um, yeah, so yeah. I think it's really cool that he wants to stay here, and a part of me is like, the last, again, this is different regime, but I just remember like Tayshawn came over in the trade. Next thing you know, he's a part of our front office. Next thing you know, he's like doing player interviews in the draft. <laughs> like he has a lot of power and a lot of people have like said like he's going to be a GM one day and Kleiman's like, no, nah, dude, you're not leaving me. Like I got to have you. Like he apparently there's a story about how he was the primary reason we drafted Zaire because Tayshawn just loved him so much. And what did we do? We drafted Z. Um, and I could definitely see Danny Green having that type of hope for a second career in the NBA, right? He seems like a very smart, um, thoughtful person who like loves the game in a lot of different ways. Um, I'm not saying he's going to sign here so he could become part of a front office, but I think it's really cool to have a veteran like that who, honestly, we have one player over, over the age of 30 on our roster besides him. I think Steven Adams is finally 30, or he may still be 29. But, like, a team just truly full of young guys, and he's 34, I think, and he's just like, this is great. Like, that just doesn't make a lot of sense on the outside looking in. You would think that he would want to be a part of, like, a bunch of veterans because he is one, and he's like, no, this is great. Well, the other thing he mentioned, too, was that, you know, he's this late in his career. He doesn't want to mess around with teams that are rebuilding. He wants a team that's going to be a contender, which – He's basically saying we're a contender, and he's he can see us going deep in the next three years. The the other thing that I'll say 
and Ty, you might have a follow-up on that, but uh, and we can get into this in a second. He also said that he wants to have more of his teammates on his podcast throughout the season, which he's mm. going to release every week. And so I think that's another topic of discussion we can we can go for. I just want to mention Stephen Adams is still 29, so the only player on our roster over the age of 30 is Danny Green, which is insane. Yeah. There is no way that he is only 29. 29. The knees of a 65-year-old, but... The brute force of just like a Neanderthal. Yes. That's nuts. Okay. All right, tell me how you feel so about... So here's how yeah, I feel. I tell hear me how you, about, you feel about Danny Green having a Grizz on there every week. So, okay. I really think that for us, it's going to be a lot of fun because we're going to get a peek behind the curtain. I think that the Grizzlies have intentionally been, been um, as an organization, more Spursian where they're going to try to basically limit the information, limit the exposure... Uh, to the team however they have personalities that I think are just you can't help but have them bubble over and John Morant and Jaron specifically are those and Desmond is actually becoming one as well Um, and I am the only concern I have is number one that we are going to uh, our play style already get rubs some teams the wrong way now it's the teams that I would want to rub the wrong way like the older ones um but also, like, I don't want to have other teams have a reason to accelerate um, and 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 I guess just increase the the level of effort that they expend to make sure that we lose certain games. And I think that there's extra motivation that guys have, and it's a real thing when you hear somebody trash talking. Uh, you and your team, and I just don't want that. I don't think that that's gonna like happen necessarily, but I would like to limit the risk as much as possible. And I think having a guy who is obviously on the back end of his career and has the next you know stage in mind, he's not gonna he's gonna care almost. I think a little bit more about the content than like the team if he had to put things in order. Like and. I think, again, I think Danny's awesome. I think our team's awesome. I trust them. I just worry that it's going to be too much exposure. So I hadn't thought about this until this moment. Um, But at least this group knows that last year I had a chance to talk with some of the Ground City Media people um, and some folks in the business side of the Grizzlies organization. And... I think one of the things that in just some of my conversations with all of those folks, which you can see this from the outside in. Um, and so not that this like is some endorsement that adds an extra stamp to things, but I came away like very impressed with the forward thinking side of the media part of the business. I think you could like one could disagree with talent ways that things are being done on the media side. I'm specifically talking about ground city media, which is part of the Memphis Grizzlies organization. And that's, you know, Verno's a part of it. Kelly Wright and IMHO, all the awesome inner, uh, you know, commercials that you see 17,000 times whenever you're watching Detroit is going to be good this year, which I really, really, really don't like that. That does sort of align with one of my over undertakes. Um, we can talk about that later. Your, your take though doesn't did, get replayed every day. So do, it doesn't okay. get replayed every day, and I did not know that that ad or had never. I had not. I'm not an IMHO subscriber, so definitely had not listened to that. But I, if I'm sort of now, so having not listened to the interview, just hearing what you're talking about and knowing sort of what um, 
that part of the organization has been, which is a forward thinking side of media for the NBA. Like there are maybe like two or three other franchises, I think still to this day that have their own media side of things like the Grizzlies do. And there's probably lots of reasons why that's the case. I, but if they're, if Danny sort of thinks that he's got a future here, you know, maybe he kind of enters into some sort of Vince Carter role, maybe Kleiman sort of saw that being a benefit and maybe not needing him on the court as much, but, you know, want to lock that type of person in long-term. You could see a scenario where the media organization says also, we'd love for you to do a podcast. Here's our studio. We want to be a part of it. We want to help you edit it, you know, and like, there's also a reason why we sort of like our podcast is we're un- unfiltered and unedited and not controlled by another organization. And we're not walking the halls with Dylan Brooks every day. So I can talk shit about him. <laughs> so, you know, it's like maybe even they're not consciously controlling the narrative. It just is part of the subconscious. So I, I'm going to sort of, I would love a scenario where Danny green is on the Grizzlies for three years because he does have a part of this winning fabric that could, I mean, Ja probably grew up watching him win championships yeah and that type of stuff resonates to a guy like that so and if he's gonna have a pod let the grizzlies help sort of be like hey dude we think this is a really awesome bit Hmm. and it shouldn't go live right and 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 they haven't had a player with a how to have a podcast yet so maybe they want to dabble in it and invest in it a little bit which is like small pieces of the pie and then eventually when Danny Green leaves he'll be like Reddick and he'll get a new platform right it's a win-win I think yeah and you gotta look into who Danny Green is and his temperament and his personality and his character so like when you were talking about that the first thing that went to my mind was like Draymond's podcast and he did it like literally after playoff games and all this kind of stuff and he was even like aware of like as you called it bulletin board like he wasn't about to come out and be like we're going to win in four. This is a joke. Like he never said anything like that. He was always like paying respect to his opponent for the most part and was like talking about the game and the game plan. And that was kind of it. So if like Draymond can keep it within the lines, like Danny Green is absolutely going to be able to keep it like extremely professional. Like it may not even be about basketball. He may talk to job about like his favorite chain and like stuff like that. Um, so I'm not worried about going to be like all the smoke with Matt Barnes. Correct. I don't think it's going to be that way. I think it's going to be pretty mild mannered. If I had to guess Denny green just seems that way anyway. Um, and to your earlier point about bullets and more, man, a part of me, like I get that a hundred percent. I think us three are wired very differently when it comes to like competitive nature. I guarantee you jaws. Like I'm going to say whatever I want. And I hope they get mad about it. Like bring everything you got. Like I will be here waiting on you. Everything points to that. Like I ain't ducking no smoke. Like Bane literally told LeBron, no one's scared of those footsteps anymore. Like in a game and then backed it up on JJ Reddick's podcast. It was basically like, yeah, that's what I said. Like, I don't think they're afraid at all. I think they like thrive off of it, buy into it. Like this really gets them going. And it's like truly a nature of, Everyone on our roster, like even Steven Adams is like adopting stuff like that. Like when he picked up what's his name last year in the against the Bulls and like carried him away. And he was like, no, mate, you know, like it's just it seems like everyone is like buying into that identity. Even like Jenkins is like he's shown in just growing out a really awesome beard. 
Yeah, the beard. I mean, like you can't have that unless you're just competitive. But I don't. A part of me, I get that. But the other part of me is like, that's just us now. Like that's just who we are. Like we're we're not afraid. Yeah, sometimes it may backfire on us a little bit. Clearly, it did against Golden State. But like, who is Golden State talking about? Who got in their heads the most? It was the Grizz. You know, I think that's just kind of who we are now. Is that real estate? That's it. Could you see the, the like Ground City Media picking up Danny Green and be like, "Hey, your contract, you've got, you know, two year deal with us on our on our networks." We're gonna. It's definitely an house. interesting idea that I hadn't considered. Um, I think that I wonder. I mean, it would be weird if he were to get traded. I don't know how that hap- how that works. Like, how if they were just like immediately release the rights to the pod. Or something right. like that would be one consideration, um, but I mean, I could see he's already been on the broadcast once with Pete and Brev. He's going to be on ESPN. I think Grind City Media would, I think, benefit from capitalizing on that. Maybe having like him be a regular guest with Vernon, so it's sort of like a backdoor moderation rather than a full fledged. Here's your show. And they kind of need to replace Tony. They had players. Yes, true. Um, I think the rights have, have a lot to do with it, too. I remember yeah. when J.J. Redick talked about, like, the reason he left The Ringer is because The Ringer owned the rights to his podcast. And he was like, but this is my content. I want every, all the rights. So I could see Danny Green that being a holdup. Because, like, if he does partner with Grind City, you would imagine they would have some type of, you know, ownership over that. And I bet Danny Green would be like, no, nah, this is like my thing. I want this. Yeah, I doubt they'd ever be able to actually get full rights, but actually right. be able to like, hey, we're going to we're gonna have a mutually beneficial, we're going to give you studio content, you know, have you help publish, every help edit. Kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, we'd love to be able to like listen to things to make sure f- and, and give you assistance and let our PR folks make sure that we're not entering into some sort of weird scenario. If But you have final say. We just would love to have first listen. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, I mean, I was just to, to kind of, um, you know, tie a bow on this. There, I was thinking through the roster. I mean, really what comes to mind is like Ja, Bain, Dylan being the main ones who would say something. And those, like, Dylan is, the, of course, always the one that can be debated. But, like, I don't really have a problem with John Bain and worrying about them backing it up. I just know what's coming for the Grizzlies and what you're you're gonna about to see this playoffs is if we continue to have the success in the regular season, get a high seed, and if we don't make it a step further in this playoffs, the hate is coming. And so you're about to say, like, y'all have to stop talking until you actually win something. And I think random off-court media appearances only put fuel to the fire. And so I'm saying, like, if they're ready to take that on, like, full steam ahead, I'll be backing it. But I would hate to get in a circumstance where there's any regrets about things that are said and any walking back that has to do because of a platform that wasn't something that or something that could have been avoided i guess yeah, is my you. only worry but i mean i'm think i'm i'm pretty risk averse like that's my personality so i'm gonna think about it from like what can go wrong yeah. if you will um and there was you remember i'm trying to remember the interview that jaw did i feel like it was two years ago where he talked about how his twitter feed somebody was asking about his twitter feed 
And he talked about how his mom would text him and be like, you need to delete that tweet. Yep, yep. And he would get a Like cue. the one where he, uh, it was the the injury with Jordan yes. Poole where he pulled That's his right. knee and said something about like, uh, what is the, what was Steve Kerr saying in the interview that was like, uh, yeah, broke the, yeah, broke, yeah, the broke the code. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and he deleted it. And he deleted it. And so the, there is some sort of like media side to these guys that I think um, I'm like you and that I do sort of feel like, eh, maybe we should just, let's not give Alabama bulletin board material type right. scenario, you know, exactly. SEC wise, but we'll see. I'm very, I will say I'm going to listen to every single one. So like the content's going to be great. I hope, and I hope we get more like, uh, maybe not like, obviously want to hear from John Des, but we hear them a lot. Like, I want to hear more of like, I'd love to hear Steven Adams on the podcast with Danny green. Like that would be my, yeah. like, maybe we one. should just get Steven Adams on the podcast. He would probably come over. I think if we just DM would him, no doubt. Can we make that happen? We need to work on a Steven Adams t shirt, actually. It's it's yeah, time. It's we time. had a we had a Valentinus t shirt. We did. It's time for Steve O. Okay, last bit, bit of news. Uh Jaron Jackson, he apparently played five on five this week. Jenkins did say in a presser uh in the last day that they're, they're taking baby steps with Jaron. There was a lot of speculation that uh Friday night could be the night where we see him. Um he it does not appear that that will be the case, but I'm hoping that maybe in the next like three to four games we see Jaron. Um, did y'all have an expectation or prediction on when you would see Jaron, and is this in line with that? Um, I think I had so I remember when we did the preseason pod kind of thing, I laid out how many games it would be if he came back at Thanksgiving and how many games if he came back at Christmas. Um, and I remember thinking through that exercise myself. I kept going back to like Thanksgiving. I was like, my hope is he's back like around Thanksgiving. And I think that's going to hold true. Um, and Jaron's had a lot of like, you know, little like Instagram stuff where he just like, will literally just like type out November and like post it or something. So I think it's coming soon. Um, yeah, I think Friday, if he just got upgraded to 5-on-5 five five and they caught it baby steps, I don't think he's going to play Friday, obviously. But I could see it being, again, like before Thanksgiving. Um, and I think that's really encouraging, too, because if this would be on the shorter end of the the timeline, um, and we are always known, especially with Jaron, to be overly cautious. So we know when he comes back, he is as 100% as you can possibly be. Um so yeah, I'm just excited to get him back, man. Like it's frustrating. Oh, well, not frustrating. It's just like people talk about like we played Portland, but they didn't have Dame. Like we played this, but they didn't have this person. Or like look at these teams, but they don't have that. And I'm like, we got like a top three defensive player of the year in votes, just not playing. Like we played Boston, they beat us by three, and we didn't have either of our bigs. And like, of course, that's not discussed because like you get the results, you move on. We lost all that kind of stuff. But I think. And a part of me is like, man, Santi's like been, you know, pretty decent in his role. Like he has, he's had really good games and he's had games where you kind of forget he's out there. And that's honestly to be expected. That's fine. I don't expect much more than that. I've been very impressed with what Santi's given us. But I think when you like think back and be like, oh, wow, Jaron erases everything on defense. Like our defensive rating was so good last year because Jaron was just literally everywhere all the time. And I think that means a lot. Um, So I think getting him back sooner than later. It's almost like our team right now, like the fact that we're, what are we, 7-4, and 8-4, and four, four. is really impressive without him. Um, 
I think Bain has absolutely taken the torch. Maybe I'm speaking too long on this. No. Um, offensively, Preach. and I think that's kind of cool too, right? Like this is giving Bain a clear runway to be like, you're the guy. You're number two for sure. Uh, down the stretch, second halves, fourth quarters, all that kind of stuff. Like can you imagine like Jaron stepping in this role where he like mans the defense and then has his two spots on offense where he's like either on one of those blocks doing that like he loves his left hand, turn around the right shoulder, left-handed little hook shot. Or he's just like chilling on the perimeter from three. And then all the things we can do, I think we mentioned this last year, Jaron is the most versatile player we have. Maybe one of the most versatile players in the NBA, if you think of all the things he can do, especially on defense. I can't think of a front court, front court player that doesn't fit with him, right? He can play with Steven. He can play with Santi. He can definitely play with BC. That's one of been of our best closing lineups. He can play with Dylan at the four because he's just such a good rim protector. We can do that. Like, he allows us to just do so much. So, I think – I don't, and it hasn't been, like, mass because I think people understand how important he is. But I think when he comes back, people will be like, oh, wow, we missed a lot. Like, Jaron's really good. <laughs> I think if anybody – or if anybody's out but Jaws playing, people don't see us as, as like, sure. you know – not full. I think that Ja has to be out for people to be to qualify our games that we're playing against others as like incomplete. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I had a prediction that he would be back by the Spurs game, which was last night. So um, it's going to be past that. But I was definitely on the optimistic side for him, but I hope it's soon. Do you have any thoughts there, BD? No. No prediction on injuries. I think this front office is really tough to predict. Talk to me so about Jaron, though. Just what are your thoughts on him, like, missing the first little bit? What do you think we're getting, like, I, uh, where is he? In, this is going to tie into, this is, this like, is tie is into our next segment, which I guess is, like, big overview of, like, what we've seen from the Grizz. Uh, so I'm happy to, like, you start transition with into your it. Yeah, that sounds great. thing so far through 12 games of the season. Look at us. Transition. So this is great. Great bridge. I believe we learned this in English class at one point in time, of which I did not pay attention. So – this is a very broad thing, and eventually I'm going to get to. I want to. I want uh, Will over here to read some stats that um, I was curious if he could figure out for us, which of course he did. I just there's been some. This is not a. This is going to sound like it's about jaw, <laughs> jaw, but it's not. Uh, this is more just about I think the the status of our roster, and I think maybe a little bit more optimism, but also. Uh, I would say a little caution that I have for myself until we get a little bit healthier and that I think we're more dependent on jaw this year in these first 12 games than we've ever been since we drafted him. And I think that's because, and it is, even though Bain has taken a leap, I think that maybe what, and I was pro getting rid of Kyle, getting rid of Melton, um and and pro getting rid of Grayson. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that sort of fits. Yeah, Jonas, great call. All four of those guys to me, I think maybe Grayson the least of those four, but all four of those guys were even though it was rough at times, were guys that could sort of create. They were not perfect on a creation scale, but they did have the ability to create. And when I look at a lot of the guys that we're playing right now who have done awesome and I think are performing above whatever expectation, you put Santi there, you put Conchar there, 
I think you put LaRavia there. Um, I'm trying to think if I'm thinking of any of, of the top of my – those mainly those three to four. Maybe even Tyus. Tyus has the ability to create, but he's better not – he's better hitting his shots when he's, he's good working for three the games. system versus looking to be a creator. And we just don't have guys that can really do stuff on their own. And it was really apparent to me in the Boston-Memphis game when at certain moments Santi was forced to create maybe beyond the arc and he rushed his shot and it looked really rough. And Conchar hit some big shots in that game when it was like given to him versus when he had to be, be – like whenever he would like drive and try to kick – he didn't look like he belonged on the court to me in those moments. Now, like, in his role, he looks like he belongs. And so I'm just like, I'm really – I think we've I think we've performed above our pay grade in the sense that, like, w- we have some guys that are really, I think, awesome potentially in their roles, and Ja has elevated them. I think it's an under – like, we talk about how great he is, but he really does help bring people – and help them perform better than what you could ever imagine for them. And um, I don't know. I just like I, I'm I'm sort of worried. I just was I have some skepticism on like until we get Jaron back, until we get Zaire back, these guys that can do some things to take the burden off of him. You know, some of the rotations have even like where where John Jaron were splitting the court, it's John Bain splitting the court. And and I just I don't know how sustainable that is much longer, and it also makes me. We're gonna, when we get to the rookie side of things, I, it makes me wonder when we start to tighten things up where we'll go based on that. So that's a little bit of a, some foreshadowing. But will so I'm going to tee this to will. So my, one of my like hypotheses was, I sort of wonder: Are we more dependent? when Jaws on the court this year versus when we've been in the past. Yes. So basically there's in cleaning the glass, they have this great on off differential stat that basically is what's the difference in um, the team points scored per hundred possessions minus the team points allowed per 100 possessions for a player when he's on versus when he's off. And so jaw right now is in the 85th percentile at plus 15.4 points per 100 possessions when he's on versus when he's off. The, basically, the team um, relies on him for like 15.4 more points when he's on versus off, and that's what the, the discrepancy is between those two things. This is definitely the highest in his career so far, fourth-year player. Uh, last year, he actually had a negative, um, which was just such a weird year. With the t- And I think that speaks more to the team. Uh, and the depth that we had more than jaw, obviously, and it wasn't huge. It was like minus three point two, um, but it's it's really really apparent that without jaw, and you even see it like in the beginning of the fourth quarter, I'm like counting down the seconds to like seven minutes left to when he's going to come back in because it just feels as though we're just hanging on by a thread. Um, Ty, do you have anything on that? Or- no, I, I thought think, you were raising your hand. Sorry. No, I wasn't. <laughs> um, yeah, a little peek behind the curtain. But he when really want to talk. We raise our hands. <laughs> no, he he is though like setting um, like records for usage right now. Like he, it's real. It's and, like top three or four in the NBA. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um. So 
And it, I, I just, there's multiple things for me. It's like body type. It's the way we've played historically. So the Jaron thing, I, you know, it's obvious. Like we need him on defense, but he also has the ability to yep. drive in and for create sure. some, you know, get the defense on their heels a little bit. Sure. Where Ja has really been, like, like Bain has, I think, excelled in and figuring out how he can attack and do some things. But I think it's also been a little bit to the detriment of his three-point shot at times. Like, I think he's missed more wide-open looks this year than he has in the past because he's being asked to do so much more on offense and create so much he's more. He's so tired. And he's so too. tired. And so, like, I don't know. There's just – there's something with the mix of our playmaking on offense that just does isn't clicking yet. And yet we're still, like, top – you know, we're doing great from a record side on the NBA and that's partially record or partially like the schedule and partially we've just, you know, we've won some games that we're supposed to win, which is great. So like it, it's, they also have cleaning the glass has an ex, a win differential, which means what is your actual record compared to what it would be expected based on efficiency. And we're a full game above record wise, what they would have expected for a team of our efficiency. And I think that speaks to, high usage players and the regression that comes with field goal percentage with really high usage players. NBA fans, the NBA action is just getting started and so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA pregame Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, total points scored, and more. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where the Grizz Den podcast goes to bet on the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, make any $5 bet this week, and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. It's weird because like a, a a part of me agrees, but then the other part of me is like Bain has t- has taken like such a leap, and like there are times where like he just gets the ball and like he's the only one on the floor that can do anything, so he just does it all. Um, like he's scored like thirty points almost routinely. Um to the three-point thing, so he's taking eight and a half a game and making four, which is wild. He's shooting 46% from three this year on high volume. Not only is he doing that, but, like, I don't know if y'all watch this. I know y'all watch the Spurs game, mainly talking to the audience. There were times where he was, like, driving down the lane and throwing this, like, lefty off the glass, like, almost, like, hook shot. Like, he is scoring a lot of different – like, the dude's a scorer now. He's not, like, a shooter. Like, coming into the league, like, I remember Ja just, like, tweeted, like, sniper when we drafted him. Like, Bain is a all-around three-level scorer. He can go to the rim, he can do the mid-range, and he can shoot from three. And he can do it all in very different ways. So, but as I'm saying that, to agree with you, Brantley, it still feels like it's like Ja or nothing. And I don't know if that's just something we're, like, used to because clearly, like, Bain has taken such a bigger role and it's working out. Like, you couldn't ask for someone to increase their usage and get a better three-point 
percentage, which like shouldn't have doesn't happen often. Too, by the way, like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like legitimate. Bain's legit. Like he's one of the better offensive two guards in the entire NBA. Maybe one of the better offensive wings in the NBA. But it's like three minutes left. Like jog, just get the ball. I I think so, to me it's less it's interesting. Of, I think that we've seen we've seen what it can be. To me, it's like, what does it look like through 82 games? Like, is it a sustainable uh, amount? Because we've seen it with Ja almost, right? We I don't know if we've seen that. Right, and Dez is actually leading the team in minutes. So he's increased. He's like 33, over 33 a game right now. And with his back stuff, with hmm. his ankle stuff already, like, I just, like, I don't want I, – I think he's becoming so much more crucial. And it Bane it, or Jaw? Bane. Okay. And I think that oh, I hundred percent. This yeah, isn't yeah. supposed. To, it's felt like just about Jaw. Totally. Because that was the stat request. Right. Right. For sure. Oh yeah. No, I think it's 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 a bit of both. And I mean, D- Bane, Dylan, and Jaw both have all three have a very high on-off differential at mm-hmm. this point. So like when those three players play, it's going to be really hard to beat us based on how they've been playing so far this year. Um, my most interesting. Um, observation so far through 12 games has to do with how we've been playing and where we've been playing. So last season, we were last in the NBA in the percentage of possessions we had in the half court, which was like 74%. And so, and with that, we were 22nd in points per half court play. So not only do we not have a lot of half court possessions, we were like bottom third of the league when it came to efficiency in the half court. This year, we still run a lot, but we're 23rd in positions of half court. So, like, we've gone from last in the league to 23rd, so, like, seven spots up. More impressively, we are up to 11th in points per half court play. So, like, the front office, before the season started, climbing went up on media days, and he was talking about how they made a very concentrated change to the half-court offense for the purposes of playoff basketball, and that is completely bearing it out. Like, you're seeing when you don't have Melton and Kyle, who are more deflections, open space, um, run players, and you're inserting guys like um, Aldama, Conchar, our rookies, uh, when you're featuring Bain more in an offense, um, and even Dylan, too, you're seeing – the product of half court offense and you're basically taking players who had had lower usages and high efficiency and featuring them more. And that's why you're seeing the increase in points per half court possession. And I think so basically my point is the experiment so far stylistically is working sustainably. We'll see. I think we have to insert Jaron. I think we have to insert Zaire and see what happens. Um, and I like to keep running like that's our bread and butter. We get um, I think it speaks to also like our defense struggling, which is why we haven't had as much fast break because the t- other teams are making more shots. And so we're not having the opportunities like I'd love to continue to be top in the league in those areas. I'm definitely more focused on like when we are in the half court, how is our efficiency? And it's, so far it's been um, just about top 10 in the league. Yeah, and that was certainly a huge criticism of the Grizz coming into last year's playoffs. Or, like, m- criticism or, like, we'll see how this picks up. We always know that it turns into a half-court type game in the playoffs. Let's see what they can do. 
And I do think we adjusted fairly decently, but it was sort of like watching a whole different team in the playoffs versus maybe now they're getting used to it. And like, I don't, it's in, it was interesting what I was trying to think of when you were reading those stats. It was like, I don't necessarily feel like we've been playing slower. No, it hasn't felt and slow. And watching it. But then the stats are saying they, that we are sort of focusing a little bit more regularly on the half court, which intuitively that feels good based on what works long term. Right. Ty, what was your most interesting thing so, so far? A little, like kind of tying into this a little bit, but like the three-point shooting. Like, if you look at, like, a really good half-court offense, like, a lot of good half-court offenses are designed to, like, move the ball, move the ball, move the ball, find an open shot. And that usually is, like, a corner three or, like, you know, something – or a layup or something like that. But a lot of times it's, like, can you find a really good open three? And, again, Will, you mentioned it earlier, but, like, Kleiman's big thing about half-court offense and also, like, shooting. So, so far this year, um, again, extremely – Obviously, small sample. So, guess where we are in total three-pointers made as a team? So, of 30 teams, where do you think we rank in three-pointers made through the first 12 games? Like the number? Pure yeah. number? You don't have to say that how many threes we think we have made 17th. as a team. But, like, where do we rank amongst NBA teams in three-pointers made on the year? 17th is one. What uh, do you think? I think we're probably 12th. 6th. Guess our three-point percentage. Oh, that's much better than I thought. We're shooting 40% from three, I'm pretty sure. So it's a little bit less than that, but where do we rank? Oh, I think in, it's third in, or fourth. Of the teams. Right. In three-point percentage as a team. Brantley? I mean, 40% is pretty good, so it's got to be like seventh or eighth. Maybe. So we're fifth. We're shooting 38.6% from three as a team. So we were top ten in both makes and percentage. And I'll just throw out attempts as well to round it out. We are 11th in attempts. So, pretty cool to be top 10 and 6th in makes and 11th okay, in attempts. Okay, do y'all think that's sustainable? To be determined. I, I think that's a tricky thing. And a part of me thought about that because when we thought – I was thinking about like Jaw's evolution. I was like, man, a big part of that is because Jaw came out on fire and launching. And he is absolutely – Yes, taking a step back in percentage, but also like attempts. He's not shooting. I don't feel like it doesn't feel like he's shooting as much as he did to start the year. But it seems like Bain is. He's like launching even more. Um, I feel like Tyus has been aggressive with his three so far. I feel like the two rookies, like we're gonna get to them in a little bit, but like Laravia, every shot he takes, I'm like, that's going in. How would those numbers um, look if uh, Roddy never shot the three? So Roddy's shooting 25 percent from three this year on decent amount of attempts. <laughs> Laravia is shooting like 58 or something wild. I have the stats somewhere over here. I'll get to them with later. with around three three attempts a game, I something believe. like that. Um, Conchar shooting a pretty good percentage. Aldama shooting a pretty good percentage. I'm hoping Jaren will come back and shoot. 36, 37, 38% would be awesome. Um, Dylan shooting a really good percentage. And, again, the thing is, it's like when you think about three-point percentage, it's like are we getting good shots? Honestly, we always have. It's just like, again, it would swing, swing, swing to Kyle, and it would be like, oh. And he wouldn't take them. either wouldn't take them or it would be real bad. Um, I think I've just been – is it a sustainable, Brantley? Probably not. Could we be top ten in percentage? Maybe. Um, I think we are rounding on our team a little bit more 
with that solely in mind, and like we we were talking about Danny Green earlier, like yeah, it's a while before he comes back, but the guy's literally like one of the kings of three and D. Probably doesn't have a lot of D left in him, but he's he's gonna be able to shoot until he's eighty. Um, so that only helps too. And I think, you know, ever since Jenkins came into to be our coach, he's always you know let it effing fly is literally what he was like quoted saying and like yelling at preseason or something like that. So I think he's always wanted this, and now like again, front office head coach aligned. It's just like let's get some guys who can stroke. And so far, and even Roddy's supposed to be a shooter. He's shooting terribly. Maybe that'll turn around. Zaire did the same thing. Zaire shot horribly the first few months of the season. After the All Star break, he was like thirty six percent on decent volume. Like really turned it around. Um, I think he shot a decent percentage in the playoffs too. So I think that's an interesting thing. Is like changing half court. It all it's all kind of like connected. Our three-point shooting is up. Three-point percentage is up. Um, and I don't think it's a fluke. I think we're getting good shots because I think Josh is always going to get good shots for people. And I think we're just making the ones we're kind of supposed to make. So. Yeah. Bain is shooting almost nine a game, which is awesome. Should be more. Yeah. he okay, Do 11 so he around 12. like six a game last year? I can look. I think so. That sounds right. He's around nine. And then the next three. So Jaron shot about, about five last year. And so far this year, Dylan is shooting 5.2. Ja is shooting 4.6. They're second and third on the team. Ja, Jaron, Dylan, that is the swing in whether this is sustainable. Because all three of those guys we've seen way up and way down. We happen to see a way up year so far for Ja and Dylan. Jaron, TBD, he has the tools is he gonna? Is it gonna happen? So like the other guys that we have all shooting besides Roddy, like anybody over a, a one attempt a game, is sustainable. Like Conchar is gonna hit him, Aldama's gonna hit him, Laravia is especially going to hit him. He he is he's the guy. He's the new Conchar in my opinion from a three point shooting perspective. You just want him to shoot more. Like just keep putting him up because his is even better, uh, an even better shot than Conchar. So that's the swing is is whether Ja. Dylan and, and Jaron will will shoot well throughout the year. And so far, I mean, I, I personally think the jaw shot looks so much better. I think Dylan is playing within himself and taking smarter threes. I think his most of his bad shots are from two um, between the rim and the three-point line. And so, anyway, I, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we have five guys shooting above 40% from three so far this year. Again, 12 games, very small sample. Yeah. Um, they are Jitty, Dylan, Ja, Dez, and, and LaRavia. And then a touch under that is Tyus at 36, which I would probably call league average, would you say? League average right now is 35 and a half. Um, and then every, everyone below that is is under 30%. So, like, Santi's actually not shooting a good percentage from three. Um, I'm mistaken. Roddy, again, really bad. Um, but of our guys who are actually shooting at least four attempts a game, most of all of them are above 36%. So the guys who are taking the shots are making the shots. Um, so, yeah. Also encouraging. All right. Um, let's get to the rookies and let's talk about our initial impressions so far with them. Does anybody want to start us off? I just want to do some context really quick. Um, because I think I test and actual backing up of the stats to me when I looked at it was kind of surprising because when I looked at it, I was like, man, LaRavia is not really getting a lot of run. And like, seems like Roddy's in like 25 minutes a game, actually minutes played per game. LaRavia is actually like ahead of Roddy. 
It's just LaRavia was out a couple due to some illnesses, but when they're both available, LaRavia is technically playing more, and I'll just lay those out. So LaRavia is playing 18.7 minutes a game, and Roddy's 18.1. So sure, I'm nitpicking because they're both basically 18 minutes. Where that ranks in the entire rookie class, which I think is also important, LaRavia is 12th among rookies in minutes played per game, and Roddy is 14th. Um, a lot of the other players, Paolo, Keegan Murray, Jaden Ivan, Jabari Smith, Benedict, Matherin, Jeremy Sohan, these are all really bad teams. The only other player that's getting legit run is Shaden Sharp, um, who's playing 21 minutes a night for Portland, who's actually had a really good start to the season. Um, I, think that, I thought that was really interesting. Um, I wanted to throw out a few more, and then y'all can, y'all can take it from there. Um, Three-point attempts among rookies. Roddy is sixth in the entire rookie class in three-point attempts this year at 40. LaRavia is 11th. Um, Three-point percentage, your boy LaRavia is sixth. And he had the, only, the guys above him have only taken like a handful of threes. Um, so he has he's shooting 52% from three on like a decent a bit of attempts, which is wild. And then Roddy's 25th, so not great. Um, so I just kind of want to lay that out there that like minutes, they're really high. So they're actually getting a lot of run. I also was curious because everyone was like, Zyra Williams kind of did the same thing. We threw him into the fire. So I just want to mention, this is the, after the entire season, right? So Zaire, and this is a total minutes played, not minutes played per game. I'll throw that out too. But Zaire was 19th among all rookies last year in total minutes played so, so that includes a big long absence too right yes so that includes absences stuff like that minutes played per game so actually when he was available how many minutes did he play per game it was 22 minutes a night and that was 18th among all rookies last year um so interesting that laravia and roddy are both ahead of that mark as of now so they're getting minutes there we are playing them and we're being successful um so so I'm going to balance all those really great stats just with – I got 12 more. I'm just kidding. Just with some gut right here. I was trying to actually – when we were talking about like beforehand, just like how we're going to discuss rookies. You know, the, the fun thing right now about like this team is that like we've – like last year we had Zaire that we got to assess and think through. The year before that it was Bain. The year before that it was Ja. Am I right? John yeah. Brandon. The year before that, John Brandon. The year before that, it was BC and Jaron. It's just like we've been like talking, like this team, we've been able to talk about rookies and their impact like every year. So, like, I don't know. Like, maybe we're sort of getting good at some stuff. I, I have no idea. But, like, last year I was trying to think of, like, when did I think that Zaire, I was like, oh, he he's going to – He's going to be something. I feel pretty good about what he's going to be. Like, he's not going to be a bust. But there's a, there, it really, for him, for me at least, like he had moments kind of after that break, like we've all talked about. But in the playoffs, in the big moments, I was like, he's not scared. He's not backing down. He's in it. Got it. I know what he's going to be. He's going to hit some big shots. I feel really good about him. Let's get his body type in shape. We're good. Bain was a little bit quicker. He was slower to get the reps. But then, you know, he had the famous, like, 
against what's the Utah Jazz guy that we made that fake shirt Jordan that once Yang. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Nyang. It's just like you knew he was here for the smoke. Like I I so those like intuitional things, the not backing down thing is what I felt from LaRavia against the Celtics. I just like it was not like just he didn't have like the popping off the the court thing. But like Ty and I were at the game, and there just were times where I was like, dude, he's like guarding some of the best offensive players in the NBA. And and I think they were like, I'm coming at this kid. This is like we've 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 played pickup before. We know what it's like when the guy that's going against you thinks that he's got you and and you lose or maybe you hold your own and he comes at you a little bit differently the next time and try something different and maybe you hold your own or maybe you go at him. I felt like that happened like seven times for him. And like, and like a, and a thing that's not going to ever be in the box score. And like, like he's so big and thick and, and like he has some strength to him. And then he does that step back three in the quarter against Al Horford that was like that was the first moment I think we saw him not think and just play, and it was pure. I really, really think we have something in him. Yeah, he's a guy that I was initially skeptical of in summer league, and then what what I mentioned on one of our podcasts was he just feels like a guy who is perfect complementary um, in that role. He playing he fits with a group where he does not have to be the primary creator he is the read and react guy he has really great iq and is going to be in the right spots and i think the biggest question for me going in with laravia was defensively and so far he's been able to at least stay in front of guys which has been an encouragement and i feel like he also has those few kind of he'll he'll basically put his hand in the cookie jar and maybe uh get something good every once in a while um, knock the ball away. And so in that respect, like it's both surprising and unsurprising because this is his game. It's surprising how effective it's been and how in his minutes, if anything, I've been wanting LaRavia to play even more. And right now the numbers bear it out. He is, he is second percentile in usage. He is a hundredth percentile in points per a hundred shot attempts. And so it's like, can we get that usage bumped up some more, please? Yeah. Um, and obviously that 100th percentile is going to come down a little bit, but he is a guy that is showing all the signs of being like, and he's 6'7", like you forget how big he is. Roddy, on the other hand, and we can get to, I mean, if we have any more LaRavia, we can go back. But for me, Roddy is all, was always a guy too who's going to be a little bit more, he's going to pop a little bit more athletically, especially in situations like Summer League where, He's the, the, you know, he and Jake are the first round picks. He technically could be like the top of the pecking order uh, with Zaire, I guess you could say. And to me, I think he's going to have such a harder time adapting to the NBA game and already has because he's so used to having the ball in his hand. He's so used to creating. You can see some ball handling issues going on with him. Um, he feels like his, his mind is ahead of his body in a lot of ways. But at the same time, you've seen a couple times where you, there are flashes. And I like him as a utility player. I do think he's looked bad defensively, but he has more of the physical tools to 
potentially be effective there. I also worry. I mean, his shot is going to come. Like that's just part of like being a rookie in the NBA. And Santi, we we didn't. He didn't play his rookie year. He had all the time to develop and didn't have the pressure. Roddy's playing almost twenty minutes a game, and you're seeing him look way more like a rookie, and uh, than anything. And so I'm preaching patience on Roddy. I don't like when he's in the game from a plus minus standpoint. He has the worst plus minus on the team right now, and I think it shows. Laravia though, man, like he's just he's just ready to go. I mean, he's 21 years old, so we have to remember that he turned 21. November the third, so, so he's he just turned twenty one. So I, I don't know. It's 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 been a pleasure. Happy to late watch birthday, Jake. Ty. Like I feel like you like when we were sitting there watching the Celtics like Grizz game. There were so many times like on the Laravia stuff where you're just like you were gushing. I couldn't get over it because you mentioned it earlier. Like every time he was guarding someone straight up, and again, this was Tatum, this was Jalen Brown, this was Marcus Smart, like a lot of very experienced guys. Like you said, they all tried to like size him up and take him off the dribble. Brogdon did this multiple times. He calls oh, Brogdon, Brogdon to travel yeah. a couple times. Like Brogdon had nowhere to go. He literally walked. Like I think it's the thing that I wasn't necessarily expecting from him was like athleticism and he's not athletic. I don't think, but I think he's like smarter than pretty much most people on the floor. And he just knows where to be and knows what to do. And Matt Harlick, a friend of the pod, I haven't really agreed with this necessarily about Roddy, but if, if, if Harlick thinks this and it's, I'm going to, you know, consider it true as he, he's mentioned multiple times, like Roddy is kind of always where he needs to be. Like, he's always kind of there. Whether he makes the play or not, I don't know yet. But, like, he's in position. He knows what to do. He knows where to be. He takes the right shots. Yes, he's not making them. But I guarantee you Jenkins is, like, watching film with him being like, great shot. Yeah. Keep shooting. Great shot. Keep shooting. That's why Jenkins loves Grayson. Yeah, probably. We always heard that about Jenkins and Grayson. Yeah. Shoot the ball. And so, LaRavia is, like, on-ball defense. Like, if he can guard those – those wings and if if LaRavia can stay in front of guys enough to be able to play the three and not be like you know is pigeonholed a word that sounds like a word yeah it's a phrase I thought so (laughs) if he's not pigeonholed into only having to like play the four right because of like foot speed and like because so Kyle great example Kyle towards the end of his Grizzlies career was kind of like a four couldn't really play him at the three anymore right like, if LaRavia can guard threes well enough, yes, he's not going to be a Dylan, right, where he's, like, fighting over screens and all that kind of stuff. But if he can, like, defend the perimeter enough where he could, like, switch and he could play with maybe, like, Brandon and Jaron or whatever that looks like, I think that's something I didn't really view because a lot of people coming in was like, is going to be a four, slow feet, whatever. Roddy's probably the same. They're both, like, kind of combo forwards. But if, like, either of them can turn into, like, combo wing forwards, I think that really changes trajectory. And so far, going into this, my concern with Jake, his middle name is Glenn, which is my favorite thing ever. So, <laughs> Jacob Glenn, LaRavia. Um, I'm on his Wikipedia. Well, by the so way, I'm trying that. to get the nickname J-Law going. So, like, J-Law? Like J-Lo, but J-Law. I like it. I like J-Law. it. Just letting y'all know. So, I'm going to keep. I like that. Yeah. I'll adopt but I think his like I'm, to, I'm, I'm holding out. I, I like that you're trying. 
Oh, I have a, a, a tweet I keep retweeting I every time he does something we've, good. We've, we've noticed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think his ability to stay in front of people is like, it. yeah, well, to Brantley's point, I was like, I would think I would like say to Brantley, I was like, I bet they're not going to beat him off the dribble. And they didn't. They didn't. It, it was, was awesome. wild. And like his step back three to Brantley's point, well, like, oh my gosh, like. Dude. We watched it on replay. Brantley pulled it up on his phone. We watched it probably like 15 times. In the stadium. It was beautiful. I was just sitting there. Okay, I want to... I, I know I have a reputation here on this on this Grizzly pod for lots of probably stupid things, including tequila. But, Ty, you mentioned he's never going to be a Dylan. Like fighting... What about Dylan makes him more athletic than Jayla. Uh ability to fight around screens. Is that athleticism so, or yeah. willpower? Oh both. Or strength. Both. I would say it's strength and willpower versus athleticism. Uh I mean I don't know. I feel like that's I mean Do you look at Dylan and think he's like this like more athlete? I don't he's like more athletic than than Jake? Yeah. J Law? Uh yeah, I do. Okay. <laughs> Personally. I mean, what do you think, Ty? I would say he is too, but I get your point. Like Dylan doesn't like pop athletically. He doesn't he doesn't play above the rim very much. I mean, but I think he's more lateral like than J Law. Okay. Maybe maybe on the lateral side. Yeah. I think it's different. That's hard to judge because like Dylan's twenty six years old, has been in the league for five, six years now. And when he first got in the league, like he got beat all the time. So I have a I, – this is me leading the witness. I have a hypothesis that I know that we sort of think is, as as your boy J-Law as being like the Kyle replacement. I'm sort of wondering if he could be in Kleiman's future the Dylan replacement. He's like this more three into four type that could develop into being a smarter defensive mindsetted person – not be stupid on offense. I think the theory there would need to be you trust Jaron that it could be a I, I know this is gonna sound bad, but and people aren't gonna like it, but the Utah Jazz style of defense was letting like basically filtering guys to the paint and like not letting them beat you, but like relying on the paint and relying on Rudy Gobert and they had a great offense, or excuse me, great defense in the regular season, and it didn't always work in the playoffs, which is the critique. But the theory there would be the amount of efficiency and offense that Jake provides in a starting role with the anchor of Jaron basically keeping defense at an average level, does that outweigh what Dylan brings from a perimeter side and the limitations he brings on an offensive perspective? So it's like... I think it's a good A-B test, and you can see. I don't know if he can be the Dylan replacement because I think all of a sudden your your entire outlook and game plan changes if you have Jake instead of Dylan, basically. Yeah, and I think another thing to Dylan's credit, that's like a 48-minute job. Like, when we play Portland, for instance, like, you know, Dame didn't play the other night, but Dylan was on Simons, like, from the jump all game in his face. Well, Ravy is in these, in these situations more so like on a, a switch or 
you know, something where he like, I need to play this possession really well, and I need to stay in front of my guy. Yeah, I mean that's he's a rookie right now. Totally. I'm saying I'm sa- I'm sort of projecting into the like two to three years down the road scenario. It's like resetting. I'm this is an overreaction to one game of where maybe he has more of that type of potential than I think what we were sort of initially thinking. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. He's definitely shown more defensive flashes than I would have thought at this point. Like to me, he was more of just like, he's going to have size and he's going to be an, I mean, an absolute flamethrower from three. And so I think the defensive potential there has been the most surprising in in a really good way to me. I just, I can't wait for like the five years from now redraft and be like, where would LaRavia go? I think he's going to be one of those guys that everyone's like, man, he was just sitting right there in front. Just very similar to Bain. Like, Bain got knocked really bad because his wingspan was really short, and he wasn't that athletic as well. What can he do at the rim? Like, his arm, you know, he's only 6'6", all this kind of stuff. And Bain went 30th, and now look at him. I could very much – people look at Jake LaRavia and be like, ah, he started at Indiana State, had one pretty good year at Wake. Maybe that wasn't all. It, it was – you know, propped up to be not a great athlete, you know, stuff like that. And I think we could look back and be like, he was just sitting right there staring at you in the face. He is like, I mean, I I don't like, outside of Ja, even Bain, like his rookie year, I was like, oh, that dude can shoot. But there's a lot of things with Bain. I was like, his handle is pretty poor. He was put in a lot of a different position, understandably. But I don't think I've been impressed with a rookie we've had like this. Um, BC was impressive, but it was kind of like, this is what he's supposed to do. He's 23 coming in the league. He's pretty polished. Like, this is kind of what he is. LaRavia was, like, not that. And I, I th- maybe that's just my personal expectations for him were lower. But yeah, I'm like – Weren't you really upset when we drafted him? I was more upset with Roddy um, because of where okay. we drafted I knew Roddy. you were really upset with one of them. And I feel like I need to make that clear every time I have the chance. I'm not – I love <laughs> David Roddy. He's a sweet guy. Well, no, he plays you, hard. You, but I just like, why – You don't why? need to like completely abandon the take yet, though. Well, it's not it that. It's just through. like, why trade up and why trade an extremely yeah. valuable asset like Melton to get Roddy when you could have gotten him like 40th? That's beside the point. But LaRavia, bottom line, he has impressed me beyond what I expected – and his game, the way he plays, and, like, the little things, I feel like he does really, really well. Um, and I think you could see Jenkins, like, falling in love with him. I would just say, I mean, this is – it's just sort of juxtaposed. It's like you're you're comparing two rookies, and they're probably being asked to be to do yeah. very different things. I think that's very important to say, but too. Like, yep. but, but I will say that the game uh, – he – uh, LaRavia has a has adapted to the game to where I don't think right now it looks too fast for him. Versus Roddy, I still feel like it feels too fast. Oh, for I'm him. nervous every time. Like Roddy he's has still the ball. swimming. He's unsure if he should shoot. He's still thinking a lot. It just you know, and he is a he's going to be a hustle kind of bruiser type player that just needs to be able to rapid react and be big and, and, you know, put, do some putbacks and, and make noise. And I don't think he's been able to really do that yet. And I would question whether that's going to ever come this year versus now LaRavia. I'm like, man, I, I think he could be kind of like our Zaire off the bench player, like in the playoffs, like Zaire was last year. Yeah. And that's, an- that's an overreaction to 12 games, but that's kind of like 
both sides of the coins where I'm at. To me, like when I went into the draft, Laravia screamed play finisher. Uh, Roddy screamed creator. And so I think they like that. Those are their strengths and that's where they come from. So if you think through that, like Roddy in the NBA, he can get to his spots, like we were saying, like he can make stuff happen, but he hasn't been finishing well at all. Laravia has been, I mean, like lights out and play finishing. But the surprising part about Laravia is that he's also had some creation too, which That's is right. like he's bec- he's more re- well rounded at right. this point. Um, yeah, and as far as uh, Junior Lofton, man, I mean. <laughs> That's, that's not even weapon, like man. we he had a heck of a dunk highlight in the in he the did. G League the other he night. Did. So he's like the one redeeming quality about our uh, New Jersey's. Like his the picture with him in it, oh, I was like, so all right, weird. I'm in. Um, <laughs> and Kennedy Chandler too has gotten some run. Like to me, the way I look at it is um, when I, I coached a fifth and sixth grade basketball team a few years ago, and um, I got some good advice from somebody who had coached at that level before, and they were like, whoever you know, these are. At this level, you, everybody has to play a little bit, or else you're going to get yourself in trouble. Um, so make sure you play everybody. And Those I would East Memphis mom. Yep, man. I would recommend playing one of your weaker players and starting them. He goes, the best time to play a really weak player is when the score is zero zero, and not when you're already down by ten and you're having to put the guy in who you know is not going to bring you back. Fascinating. And so I think that Jenkins is looking at this. I hope this guy's not a friend of the podcast. Like the, the beginning of the regular season. What's his name? Blank slate. We're zero, zero and zero. You're seeing Roddy especially get a lot of run, more than like smart basketball people are thinking he should. Mm-hmm. And the the way I'm looking at it is Jenkins is is looking at this schedule. We have a pretty easy strength of schedule. If you look at our first 10 to 15 games, why not give Roddy really valuable minutes when it's lower stakes and as you build and build and build into the season and get the stakes get higher and higher, that's when you can make more business decisions on – how often you play rookies, specifically like David Roddy's. Yeah. So you bring in Kenny Lofton by the end. Or you, I mean, Zaire did that too. Like, I remember everyone, when Zaire started, I think I mentioned this earlier, but it's just like, why is he on the floor? Why are we playing this dude? He started over Melton, over Kyle. Like, played significant minutes. And then again, down the stretch, it was like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, it wouldn't shock me if, like, back half of the year – we look up and Roddy's like defending his position well, shooting thirty six percent from three, making other little smart plays. Like that wouldn't shock me at all. And I will say, like Roddy, you know, if you've listened to this podcast uh, for two years, first off, thank you. Uh, but whatever, you know, almost three. It's almost next three. Month. Yeah, and I would question what you're doing with your life. No, I really wouldn't actually. <laughs> but like, there is this kind of like there are certain players on our team where I just liken it to like when they shoot, I feel like it's going in or not. It's just it's stupid, simple analogy. And there's like Laravia is in the camp now where I'm like, man, when he shoots, I feel like it's going in every time. Uh, and his percentage would obviously merit that. Roddy's shot looks good enough to where I feel like it's going in, even though his misses are as bad as bad as they could be. And so to me, there's some, I have a little bit of like, man, I just sort of feel like that's why I'm just back to the speed thing. It's not a bad, it's not ugly. There's, there's, there's something enough to it to where I want to believe that it's going to even itself out like he can't even hit a corner three. There's like a ball the guy, of clay. He, he just molded. needs to see a couple go in, and then I feel like he's going to get some confidence and slow down 
and it's all going to be good. All right, we're going to finish out the pod, and we're going to do this lightning round style. Basically, like a take about a Western Conference opponent that you have, whether it's they're you know underperforming, overperforming based on where the standings are right now, and if the basically if the Grizzlies should be you know either worried about an opponent that's that's um, you know maybe performing below expectations or shouldn't be worried about an opponent that's performing above expectations or just a take in general. So I just want to run through the Western Conference top to bottom really quick. Um, Utah, yep, I said it. Utah is the number one seed. They're ten and three. Portland nine and three. Phoenix eight and three. Denver eight and three. Grizz eight and four. Clippers seven and five. That is your top six seeds in the West. Again, this really doesn't matter because it's only been twelve games. But here we go. Dallas is seven at six and five. New Orleans six and six. Spurs five and seven, Minnesota five and seven. That's your top ten, and then eleven through fifteen is Sacramento four and six, Golden State, which I think we maybe should spend a little time on, is four and seven. OKC's four and seven. The Lakers two and nine. Wow, and then Houston two and ten. Um, so one just overarching thought I had. I texted this to y'all um, the other week. I have a theory that, like, the number one seed in the West is going to be, like, 55-win team. I think it's just going to be a bunch of, like, 55-48 to win teams, and, like, the difference between a two seed and an eight seed is, like, two games apart. I mean, that's I don't know if that's possible. But, like, really, really close. I think it's going to be a lot of teams bunched together, and you really never know where you're going to end up, and there could be, like, a really good team as, like, the nine seed. Um, And I think it's just going to depend on – maybe injury luck, stuff like that. But I think my big thing is like there's a lot of teams in the West, and to me there's like four or five, even maybe six, that all feel like they're basically just in the same club. There's not like two or three just like, oh, these are like, you know, the cream of the crop kind of thing. Um, So that's my overarching take or thoughts so far. Yeah, mine is actually you mentioned them and that we should talk more about them. Golden State, man. They have been really struggling. If you look at some of the data behind it, you will see that their starting lineup is like has one of the most like highest on off. Speaking of on off, like um, differentials, and then it drops down after that. So that's one of those on offs that you're like, oh wow, this lineup is really good. But then no, it's more about the other, the everybody else being very very bad. Their defense hasn't been this bad in a long time. Like Golden State, honestly, for all of the flair that they have on offense really it's been their defense that has been the uh the reason that they've been able to sustain uh for so long that and of course Steph Curry uh but Golden State I would be legitimately worried because you're seeing some aging happening with Clay and Draymond Jordan Poole who just got paid is like consistently having single digit scoring nights um, Steph is having to score like between 40 and 50 points uh, for them to eke out some some wins. And, I mean, they are the champs. They're going to get the benefit of the doubt. But I think they might honestly get too much benefit of the doubt uh, based on what their current construction of this roster is. And I would be worried. I'm going to say it. Like, I would be worried if I were Golden State right now based on how my defense is playing, based on how Jordan Poole is playing, 
and based on how much I'm having to rely on Steph Curry. Like, this is more than it's ever been. So, and he's amazing. Like, he's gonna he's gonna continue to drag them to victories that they probably shouldn't have. But that's that's been my biggest takeaway so far in the West. The top teams like Jazz and Portland, like, they're fun, but we'll see. Golden State, I'm legitimately worried. Yeah, I I just sort of th- I think that there um there's been some momentum with towards the top with the Jazz and the Blazers that I just sort of have to believe isn't sustainable. Um however, I do sort of wonder if there's maybe some disruption that could happen in Brooklyn um that could cause maybe some other Western conference shifting, but like whole list. So like meaning like the, the jazz Portland thing, like maybe one of those teams maintains their trajectory and they have a great end of the season record. I was just looking at that saying like, Hey, I think that this could mean that, you know, the Grizz have a, a chance at top three seed depend, you know, sort of depending on how things fall out. Um, if they can sort of surpass some of those other teams, but regardless that, I mean, you know, like right now we'd be playing, like like there's just some tough first round matchups just depending on what happens right i mean this could be really tough um and uh which is just like sort of crazy to think about but i don't know i uh i i'm like y'all i, I have to believe that there's some there's some things that are going to that are going to change up towards the top i haven't really i haven't really watched the warriors at all or because i just Emotionally, can't bring myself to pay attention to them. <laughs> Fair. Well, um, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I feel like this was our first really big check-in um, as the season is getting started, and it's it's crazy to think how you know how one thing we didn't mention was just how few games our starting lineup, what you would assume would be our starting lineup, like in the playoffs, have actually played together in the last couple of years. So very excited to get Jaron back. I think that it'll almost be a, a completely new evaluation, which is which is fun for us over here uh, to get to keep track of that and to to bring you uh, more podcasts and more content about all that. So tune in. There will be another weekend update at some point this weekend, reacting to the Minnesota game, which is going to be tomorrow night. So make sure you. Um, Maybe have a got to get up to get down or two tomorrow before the game. Get yourself prepared. We're going to need everyone. And uh, not only do we get to cheer against Carl Anthony Towns again, but we get to cheer against Rudy Gobert on the same team. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Let's get to 9-4 and four after tomorrow. Uh, this has been another edition of the Grizz Den Pod. For Ty, for Brantley, I'm Will. Thanks for joining us.